Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining Gregor Robertson and I today, it is James Restall. James, long time no speak. Pleasure to have you with us. How are you? I'm very, very good, thank you. Absolute pleasure to be here, albeit um, from uh, the spare bedroom in my mother-in-law's house. Oh, how intriguing. Um, would you like to paint that picture for us of the spare bedroom? <laughs> I can. It's, um, it, has a, uh, it has an all-round, wraparound, uh, hand-painted Disney motif. Um, so I'm currently looking at Captain <laughs> Hook. Um, so, uh, oh, I love so, it. So, yeah, it's... Um, it is. It's, it's it, not, it, it, not it's your been spare one room. Of, <laughs> no. <laughs> no it, 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 it has been one of the uh, one of the better uh, one of the better Zoom lockdown backgrounds, I must say. <laughs> I love it. I love that picture that we've now been painted. That is fabulous, Gregor. How are you doing? I'm good. I don't have anything like those surroundings. I'm afraid. Just uh, looking at my cat sleeping on the spare room bed in my spare room. <laughs> oh, look at you all having spare rooms. Fabulous. <laughs> Here on the pod, it is an EFL special. So stand by for more on Wigan, Wickham, West Brom, and yes, of course, you've guessed it, Brent. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. But. Now, Brentford moved to just a point behind second place West Brom last night in the championship table after a narrow 1-0 win over Preston North End at Griffin Park. It was that man again, Ollie Watkins, who made the difference as his early goal settled the tie, meaning the forward has now scored 25 goals in 44 championship appearances this season. It means with two games to play, Brentford have 81 points, with West Brom in second on 82. The remaining games see Brentford play, relegation threatens Stoke away and Barnsley at home, whereas West Brom travel to Huddersfield before QPR at home. So, Gregor, oh, this is an intriguing fight and obviously I, I will sit on the fence for this one. Um, <laughs> who is your money on to grab second place? I think we will know this this weekend. I think Huddersfield are obviously fighting for their lives, so that's a real challenge for West Brom. Uh, and the same with Stoke and, and you guys playing uh, this weekend. So, you know, the last two games, Barnsley and QPR, I think they're they're almost gimmies. So I, th- I think we could know this weekend. Um, and the, the run Brentford have been on is just remarkable. Uh, and it's always kind of, it's always felt like this, there was, it was almost a matter of time before things really clicked and, and Brentford went on a run like this and came within this this kind of touching distance of the Premier League. Um, so that, I'm sitting on the fence here, but I'm going to... I think... 
it's really tough. I think I think West Brom, unfortunately, in that might just mm-hmm. just see it see it over the line. But I think, as I say, yeah. this is the real real test for them this weekend. After that, I think we'll know. Oh, yeah, uh, I mean, Sorry. I didn't want to hear that, but you know, that's fair enough. That is fair enough. They have the advantage, obviously, as, as things stand. But just just before we talk more in detail about Brentford, which I'm going to enjoy, um, when you look at the West Brom situation, they started the restart not in the best of form. They didn't win their first two games, but now actually they're unbeaten in their last five, albeit they've drawn their last two games. One-one with Blackburn, and then it was a goalless bore against Fulham. Um, I want to ask you, James, I've been listening into what Slavin Bilic has had to say of West Brom of late, and he's spoken about how it's been a very nervous end to this championship season. He's he's spoken about how they've got two extremely difficult games, not only because of the uh, opponent, definitely with that, but also because of the pressure. If you're hearing a manager speak like that, does that put some doubt into him and, and into West Brom in a way and how they're approaching all of this? bit frightening isn't it um i was talking to tom roddy who was covering the game for us um just before the podcast and he said he covers a lot of wolves tom and he says that nuno can be quite infuriating because he kind of he's very guarded he never really speaks his mind he's kind of he always keeps his cards quite close to his chest but as a player i'd be interested to know what you think about this gregor incidentally you know as a player you you must that's that's great you know the manager's not giving anything away and kind of that must breed some kind of confidence. If I were, if I was in the West Brom dressing room, I'd be thinking, don't, don't, don't tell everyone that we're all nervous and anxious because it just, it creates this whole, this, this negativity. And particularly when you've got, um, when you've got Brentford who are going like an absolute train and, you know, one result maybe earlier in the season, have one result gone differently. They'd be, they'd be in the driving seat now. It's um, it's quite. It's I, I don't really get his strategy. I, I, obviously, we like managers to be open and uh, and to be honest. But at the same time, I think Slavin's possibly sort of been a bit guilty here of saying too much. Gregor, what do you think? I get that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that actually, you know, no matter what he says, it's all pretty clear at this point. You know, there's two games and they've got <laughs> they've got a point lead. Uh, you know, the time for any kind of mind games is over. I think, uh, you know, it all depends on his approach as well. If he, if he's trying, I'm sure, I'm absolutely certain that, you know, in training through the week, he's trying to lighten the mood and ease the pressure. But he's just being very honest in front of the cameras, and I'm sure he's being honest to the players too. And they know that themselves. They know that they've let a a big lead slip, and really, there's no more room for error. So they have to. The pressure is on, um, and it's how they deal with that now. You'd still well, rather be in their position, wouldn't you? You'd still course. rather have the points on the board, and and that that's mm. a, you know you speak to you speak to you speak to players who've been in that situation, and they they'll always they'll always tell you that it's it's far better to be uh, in the position with points on the board and and knowing that it's in your hand. Well. As it is, um, Gregor, you said that you think West Brom are going to get there and get over the line eventually. But let's focus on on Brentford and whether or not that front three can give them the edge. What can strike last night now means Brentford's front three of 
of Watkins, Ben Rama and Brian and Burmo have scored 57 goals between them this season, as many as the whole Preston squad had managed in the league. 24-year-old Watkins had been a winger until the start of this season, where he was converted into a central role to replace last year's top scorer, Neil Mopé, who joined Brighton in a £20 million deal. It's been a fantastic transformation for, for Watkins this season, Gregor. How much credit does he deserve? And also the head coach, Thomas Frank. Yeah, I think both enormous credit. I mean, the, the, as you say, the, he, he wasn't a centre forward until until the beginning of the season. And it was a, it was a move that Frank, Frank kind of laid out to him in the summer and said, you know, Mopai moved on to Brighton. Um, he believed he could play centre forward. And that was, a, but there was always going to be a question mark about that. Um, you know, he has all the attributes to be a very modern kind of mm-hmm. forward in a front three, especially from wide. He's good at, at coming in and, and you know coming off the line, excellent carrying the ball. But he's shown the kind of that kind of killer instinct in and around the six yard box as well. There's been a lot of goals where he's he's uh, you know he's just been Johnny on the on the spot, uh, and that's not really that's not really something that you can be coach to that to not to this extent you know it's a it's an amazing goals haul um and yeah so Tom, thomas frank has been you know he's someone who I, I won't i won't disguise the fact i was slightly uh kind of suspicious about whether he was going to be a success when he when he was handed the reins i think they lost kind of seven in a row or something that you'll know that better than me um you know it wasn't a good start for him at all but it's just you know as i say that every time you question Brentford or you question the model or, you know, there's been so much said about the way that they run the club and, you know, the whole money ball narrative. Anytime you question it, they answer those questions after time, over a little bit of time. Um, and, you know, I remember I wrote a piece about, about Brentford when they played Leicester in the, in the cup. And it was, I was essentially saying the same thing is, you know, we keep saying the same thing about, about Brentford, the, the narrative and the, the model hasn't changed so it does feel like a matter of time. Even if, even if they don't go up automatically, they are the team to beat in the playoffs. And if even if they don't go up this season, you know we'd say to ourselves they probably have to sell someone like Watkins. Ben Rama is being looked at by a lot of big clubs in England now, mm. but they just signed Brian and Bueno Bremo for, you know, like he's twenty years old, and yeah. he's been he's been outstanding. They signed Tarek Fosu in January from from Oxford. He's another player who can step up, and. And the, you look at the track record of their recruitment, and there's more. You know, there's so many players you could pick out. That's that's why I'm saying it's a matter of time. This does feel like the best shape they've ever been in, but it feels like a matter of time. Oh, Gregor, what are you doing to me? Um, <laughs> let, let's focus a little bit more, James, on Ollie Watkins now. He is the, the league's outright top scorer. Um, it, he's had a terrific season. It, you know, Gregor's sort of mentioned his attributes, how he his link-up play with, with our forward options is fantastic. He's confident on the ball. He's confident with his skills. He works so tirelessly as well, how he presses and helps to defend. He's simply been outstanding. Is he someone that you can imagine with all the stats that he's a candidate for player of the season? Oh, un- undoubtedly so. What, what's so remarkable is not just the, not just the, the transition from, from winger to, to forward. It's, it's, it's the way he's actually developed his, his, um, his game as a striker. He's, in, in the last two seasons, he scored one goal with his left foot. He scored seven with his left this season. He, oh. If you split his goals down, you've got seven with his left, nine with his right, eight with his head. I mean, that, it, that, that to me is the definition of an all-round forward. 
someone who could mm-hmm. when 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 Harry Kane took the next step um, at Tottenham, he went from being a predominantly right-footed player to someone who was scoring more headers and more left-footed goals. And it's it's being able to be in the right place at the right time and have that instinct to get into position that you know that when the ball comes in, you will score and you will back yourself with whatever body part. He's also got one goal with which Opta confusingly say other. So uh, we can we can Ooh, get what's what body that? part that was. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know, um, but it's but he's, sco- he's 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 scoring goals in 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 all manner of ways. Um, the other thing as well is, and this is um, this is this you know don't 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 shoot me for making what might be, seem a bit of a ludicrous comparison. But when um, one thing with Cristiano Ronaldo is he 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 runs far less with the ball and has kind of and now just moves into good positions to receive the ball to score. And um, as Watkins has has transitioned from kind of a more traditional wide player to a centre forward. Two seasons ago, he was completing on average about three dribbles per match. Um, he's averaging less than one dribble per match this season. He's, oh. he's backing himself to be in the right positions rather than to do things with the ball at his feet. Um, and I think, I think that's, that is the sign of why he, he, he could potentially get even better because he's, he's not just learnt this role, but he's learnt how to develop his game within this role. Mm. Fascinating. That was really interesting. But I would say that as I'm a Brentford fan. But um, I mean, <laughs> but what I'm, from what I'm led to believe, you know, he works hard at training as well. He's sort of one of those that is out on the uh, training ground till the very end. And if he sees the B team training, he'll go and train with them if they're doing some sort of striking uh, training, if, if that is what's happening out on the pitch. So, you know, he's working hard and it's obviously paying dividends by what you're just telling us, James, with all those stats. But obviously he is part of that front three, the BMW, uh, as they're known at Brentford. And, and Gregor, you know about them. You've seen them. Just how clinical are they? Do you think they are the most clinical in the league? Oh yeah, by a long shot. I mean, Ben Rama as well. He he'd actually seemed to have dipped a little bit from his from his form last season in terms of goals and assists, and then particularly since uh, since restart, he's just been electric. Um, some of the skills and and as I say, Ben uh, Embuemo. You know, even even when Embuemo, I was at the the first game against Fulham, um, and Embuemo. You know, that was the kind of big news before kickoff that he contracted coronavirus, and you're thinking, yeah. my goodness, and then. Tarek Foss who came in, he was outstanding, and they found and and Ben Rama scored scored one goal and set up another for for uh, Marcondes. So you know they they just find a way to to win. But actually, you know, we're talking about the the front line. What really has got them in this position this year is the defence, because they've always they've always scored goals. Um, I think I think last season they conceded fifty nine goals, and this season they've conceded thirty five. Uh, and Leeds, Leeds are the only team that's conceded fewer. And that's only by one, so 34. So that's really has been the difference. And, you know, as electric as that front three is, um, Pontus Janssen's arrival, Ethan Pinnock at the back has been outstanding. Rico yeah. Henry's managed to stay fit at left back. Um, there's just been there's more balance about it. And it was, a, a, again, when I spoke to Thomas Frank uh, just before that game against Leicester, he said that that was a thing that they began to approach a year ago, and mm-hmm. it was a concerted effort. They, they realised that you know they can play all this all this kind of free free flowing football and and be really easy on the eye and score so many goals, but 
the thing that the, th- the thing that made them finish mid-table last season was the fact that they couldn't keep the ball out the back of the net. So yeah. they they pushed out the boat to sign Janssen. Again, I've said this before. I I was kind of a little bit dubious about that because he can be really kind of when the pressure's on. He certainly was with Leeds. He can be uh, slightly reckless, but he seems to be an outstanding sign for them. Offered leadership in a really mm-hmm. young team. Um, and look, look, you know all this yourself. So I think. Um, it's the balance. It's the balance yeah. of the team this year that is the difference. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I remember having a conversation with Thomas Frank at, at the LMA end of season dinner where perhaps a little bit of alcohol had been consumed. So he was a little <laughs> bit more free flowing with the conversation, let's say. Uh, but he had said, and we discussed the season that had just finished and what was going to happen with the, the season going coming coming up and, and the, where they needed to strengthen. And it was that we needed a leader. We needed someone with experience who could also help to the game management side of things. We just didn't have that in our side. And I think Pontus Janssen has, has brought that to the team, certainly so. And we mentioned Thomas Frank. He was named the Brentford head coach in October 2018, having worked as Dean Smith's assistant who departed for Aston Villa. His only previous coaching experience was in his native Denmark with Bromby and in the junior setup of the national team, with many surprised at him being preferred to a, a more experienced coach. Having said that, I wasn't surprised. I was an I was an advocate of Thomas Frank because for me, I remember thinking he knows our setup already. He knows how we like to play. He knows what we want to do, how we want to achieve things. And it made common sense to me that you just go with someone like Thomas Frank. It was a bit like when Uwe Rosler left and Mark Warburton took over. That's how I saw it. But James, let me come to you. What have, what have you made of Thomas Frank? Um, uh, I thought he was... I, I, thought, I thought it was. A, I thought on the face of it, it was quite a risky appointment. While while understanding the structure that Brentford have, yeah. um, what I think, where what I think might, if they do go up, um, what might stand them in good stead next season is the fact that it's a. It's this is this is a process that has gradually built and built and built. And we're, you were talking there, Gregor, about the defence and how. If we looked at, say, how Liverpool have, have improved over the last three seasons, it was they sorted the front three and then they sorted Van Dijk and then they sorted a goalkeeper. And they and there's, there was a clear train of thought throughout and there was a clear strategy. And I could see Brentford, I, I could, I could it, this, you know, this, this could be a ridiculous prediction, but I could, I could quite conceivably see them doing something similar to what Sheffield United have done. <gasps> in oh, my the, goodness. In the... In that, in that you have, you have, okay, with Chris Wilder, he'd take them through the divisions, but Frank's been part of a process that has, um, that has kept true to its, uh, true to its ethos and true to its philosophy and everyone buying into that. They're solid at the back. They're electric up front. I think they, they, they might need to get a bit, they might need a bit of Premier League now added in there in whenever the summer is. Uh, in terms of the transfer window, but uh, but 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 I, I can see this is the benefit of having a long-term structure and plan. Mm. Gregor, I mean, I don't really want to be talking about this. I feel like I'm jinxing everything. But is James having a laugh, or uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or should I be looking forward to some major highlights next season? <laughs> I think you need to get over the line first. It's like a, it's the same, you know. We've not mentioned we're not mentioning Leeds on this podcast because their time will come. But they're, you know, it's it start. It's, the hype is building up so much, and they've not done it yet. So you know, I don't yeah. think you should get too carried away. But but no, I I do actually understand where James has come from there. 
I mean, they have a they have a kind of well, as has been said before, they have a, they have this model. They have the model, and they'll stick to it. And as, you know, they'll just raise the raise the kind of the standards and the parameters of you know the the price that they're willing to pay and stuff. But they'll still be looking for value where other people don't. Um, and yeah, I mean, Frank's done a a brilliant job, and I'm happy to say I was wrong about that. I remember visiting when. You know, it was just after uh, Rob Rowan tragically passed away as well. Who was the? Um, he was he was like the kind of director of football, and you know the club was really rocked at that time. And he'd and and Frank was on a, had just been appointed, and he was they were on a bad losing run. Um, and I just I, I just felt that it could be it could be difficult for him to kind of haul it back from that that point. The club was in a really difficult place, but in, in fairness, he did, and and he's. He's, he's very engaging as well, you know. You've you've met him, and he's. I think it sounds like he, he's someone who, you know, although he's not come from a traditional background in terms of a, a former player, uh, he's been coaching mm. since the late nineties. He's a psychology graduate. Uh, he's a former PE teacher, so he kind of, you know, he, he spent his whole life trying to get get across a message, and 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 he's obviously very very good at what he does. So yeah, I mean, it's just as I say, it's the kind of whenever there's a question mark about. What Brentford do, give a, give them a little bit of time and they answer it. So that's the top end of the table. Let's focus at the bottom end of the championship. And one result stands out from this week without a doubt: Wigan eight, Hull nil, equaling the biggest victory in championship history with Wigan scoring seven in the first half in an extraordinary first forty-five minutes at the DW Stadium. Cal Naismith, Jamal Lowe, and Joe Williams. All got on the score sheet for the hosts with Kiefer Moore and Kieran Dowell netting twice. Dowell then completed his hat-trick after the break, but that was where the scoring ended as Wigan also kept a 10th clean sheet in 11 games with Wigan only having nine shots on target despite scoring those eight goals. It was quite a humdinger of a result. Could anyone have foreseen that, Gregor? <laughs> I certainly don't think so, no. Um, it's one of those where you watch the you watch the, the highlights and you watch the goals and... First thing that sort of struck you was everything that Wigan hit went in. <laughs> it was just you know at, at at the start it was like this is kind of you know they they can't they can't miss and then the, you just saw the confidence drain away from from Hull's players and it looked like they were doing the kind of that kind of thing where they pretend to close down they pretend to try and make a block they're just going through the motions to do what they can to cover their own backs and it was nowhere near good enough and the way they crumbled was would be hugely alarming so it was uh, it was an amazing result and um but as i say some of the goals i mean Kieran Dowell's volley in the second half was like a like a one off the ball was fizzed in at him and he kind of threw threw his leg out at it and it, it looped over the goalie and into the into the top corner so you know everything that they hit Turned to gold, um, but Wigan. I mean, considering the, the the what's been happening at Wigan, it's it's a yeah. remarkable result and a remarkable show of kind of togetherness and and spirit and bravery. Inevitably, Gregor, I have to ask you the question: Have you ever experienced <laughs> anything like that before? Being seven nil down at half time? No, I'm afraid not. I mean, the, uh, the I was having a little think about this and the. I think the worst of I've, I've never conceded more than five in a game, which wasn't good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, one was against Brentford, your lot actually, when I was oh. at Crew. <laughs> we lost five one. I think it was three nil at half time, and I lost five nil to Swindon once. Uh, Ryan Mason, who 
who uh, went off to play. Well, he was on loan from Spurs. He scored a hat trick. Um, and I was a game three nil down at Newport County once, and I was dragged off at half time. That was probably that was a, a major low point in my career, and uh, especially as we nearly came back to three all. We drew, drew uh, we, it was three two in the end. So it was obviously a good move from Chris Wilder that one. <laughs> See, he knows what he's talking about. Um, did he? What was his reason for dragging you off though? Exactly. Um, I just wasn't having a good time. Basically, oh. he did, me and myself and the right back, he, he took us both off. I think he went to three at the back and sort of threw on a midfielder and and uh, and someone else at the back, and it was a change of shape sort of thing. So that was my that was kind of one consolation. But still, it's never good. It's one of the worst things that can happen to you as a footballer getting the drag at half time. So was that was that the birth of, of, of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United's three at the back? Yeah, was that the moment it all changed? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, <laughs> uh... in years to come, we'll talk about doing the Gregor. I mean, brilliant three at the back, overlapping <laughs> centre halves. Well, brilliant. doing doing the not Gregor. Yeah, maybe <laughs> doing without <Maybe>. Gregor. <laughs> um, but uh, James, I mean, obviously. Uh, as fans of the game, having never played the professional game, uh, have you ever witnessed anything like what we saw with Wigan and Hull? Um, I've not. I've not witnessed anything as bad as that in terms of uh, of, of the scoreline being seven. Um, but when I was a student, I, 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 uh, my my best friend Matt is uh, he lives in Wickham, and um, and we decided to get the bus from Oxford to Wickham to go and watch uh, Orient play at Adams Park on a Tuesday night. And um, bizarrely, Orient fielded seven goalkeepers in that season. I think it was 2012. They had, they had, they had it was just a, a real bad luck with injuries. We played, fielded seven different goalkeepers, um, including on this night, uh, Paul Wachubka, who I think was signed on loan from Leeds, uh, basically on the bus on the way to the game because we didn't have any other goalkeepers. And um, we were 4-0 down at half-time, and, uh, including one which sort of, really did slip through his fingers and it was it was quite it was quite awful to watch and uh, we did contemplate leaving at half time but we stayed on and it was 4-2 in the end so um it was a you know one won the second half as they sort of cliched <laughs> but no it was uh, it was it was it that was that was particularly bad and it was interesting because you know as I'm sure we'll get on to a lot of the Wickham players well Matt Bloomfield was playing that day and I think he might have scored and and obviously he's been part of their recent success Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a, of a Brentford game that I might have seen that was as depressing, let's say, as the Hull fans would have gone through. Because we have been talking so glowingly about Brentford, we should talk about some negative aspect. And there was one game, actually, uh, and I'm going back to, what, 2007. I think Terry Butcher was our manager. We did lose 7-0, and that was to Peterborough, but we were actually 4-0 down at half-time, and our goalkeeper had been sent off in the second minute. So you know when your goalkeeper sent off that early on, you just know it's not going to go your way. So, yeah, not great. I think Aaron McLean scored a hat-trick, and, and George Boyd, Craig McHale-Smith, names very familiar to, to Peterborough fans that all were on the score sheet. So, yeah, not great at all. But, Gregor, 7-0 down in 45 minutes is some thrashing. But six of those goals, I think, were scored in something like 18 minutes. So, uh, it's just incomprehensible that Hull could have gone in at half-time uh, to be 7-0 down. But how on earth can you ever pick yourself up from something like that? Well, I mean, it's, this is the thing. It's, just, it's historic, really. It's kind of... That 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 level of capitulation, um, and you know, I was watching the watching the goals, and I th- thinking, I don't, you know, having fans there 
I don't know whether I don't know how that would have affected it. I mean, the, the atmosphere would have been toxic if he'd even gone, mm. you know, two or three goals down in that in that kind of short space of time. Um, I couldn't imagine what it would have been like if there were supporters there. But I also wonder whether having supporters there to kind of rouse the players a little bit from what was clearly a, a massive slumber, <laughs> um, whether that might have had some some kind of effect. I also was finding it quite quite funny that all you could hear was was Paul Cook's voice bellowing <laughs> on from the sidelines. And uh, you know, normally you see him coming in in a kind of post match interview afterwards, and he's he's hoarse, he's lost his voice. Uh, so maybe. He's, I've wondered whether that would you wouldn't have to be kind of calmed down a little bit on the touchlines, but obviously not. Um, he was the Wigan were Wigan were outstanding, but but Hull just defensively, as I say, it looked like they were going through the motions, and yeah, hugely worrying. Keeping on Wigan, I, I remember a few years ago when they were in the Premier League and they lost uh, they lost nine one at Spurs. Yeah, and um, and they and we did a uh, Tom Roddy did a piece uh, in the Times. Uh, when Southampton lost nine nil, and and he spoke to Chris Kirkland about how do you bounce back as a player from, as and as a goalkeeper from conceding nine goals in a match, and um, and and they the, the following week they kept a clean sheet and beat Sunderland one nil, so uh, you can you can uh, you know these the, remarkably you sort of you can you can just have these off days that mm. you, know, you and then you kind of you you all gel and click the following week. Uh, we've talked a lot about Hull and and, and this, we'll talk more about them in just a moment, Gregor, but. When you know with what's happening at, at um, Wigan with that administration that came out of nowhere, the redundancies that have been taking place, the uncertainty that is going on as well, when they put in a performance like they did, is that something that can galvanise a squad? Yeah, I mean, we we touched on this when when the news broke. It is a kind of... It is something that that it creates a siege mentality. It's like... You know, there really is. It really is us against the world, us against the owners of the football club, us against every team we face against. Just the people within that dressing room. Um, it, it brings everyone together, and it's kind of I, undoubtedly it will have will have spurred them on. But the one thing you have to say is they didn't really need spurred on in the first place. They were in a remarkable run of form. I think since since the turn of the year, certainly a couple of weeks ago, there were only only Derby County who'd who'd won more points, and they've Derby have fallen away a bit, so there won't be many teams who've who've won as many points since the turn of the year, and they were bottom of the league, and now they're mid-table, twelve points from safety, uh, which could be could be absolutely crucial. So, um, listen, I think Paul Cook deserves enormous credit, and mm-hmm. and all the worry and all the kind of uncertainty off the field, the fact that they're not being paid their full full uh, full salaries, um, they're looking at selling some young players. Uh, even Paul Cook is being linked with other clubs now. You know, all of these things, they've just got to get through these these last two games and, and secure their championship status. Um, and I think Wigan is a club that there's been a lot of interest in and, you know, hopefully everything can get resolved after that. And, and the the real, you know, the real the real kind of tragedy would be if, if they were relegated after such a remarkable uh, run of form in 2020. Yeah. The um the in uh, it's interesting you mentioned the galvanising impact though because I remember when uh, when Chris Wilder was at Northampton and they the, the year they won League Two, yeah. um, they were I think they were facing winding up petitions, players weren't being paid, there was a stand that was just a skeleton um, on the far side of the stadium um, because there'd been some issue with the funding of that stand um, and 
they were already in brilliant form and, and at the top of the at the top of League Two and running away with it. And all it did was just continue to give them a siege mentality, as you say, Gregor. And, and they they went on to romp to that title. And I do think it's not, it, it isn't you don't see it in every single case, but particularly when the form is good already, I think there is a real sense of they can't. There's too much riding on it to give it up. Um, and some of the some of the efforts that you know in the community that, that have been that have been uh, taking place, such as I think I was reading there was a there's a six year old lad had a had a had a say, a garage sale and has raised five hundred quid. You know, so it's just it's brilliant. It's um mm. and 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 I, I really do hope that um I do hope that all their efforts are rewarded with with with, with staying in the championship. Yeah, I think I would echo that as well. But we should talk about Hull then. Their woeful run of form in 2020 continues. Grant McCann's side have won just once in their past 18 games, losing 14 of them. If you go back to New Year's Day, they were eighth, four points off third place. Since then, they've taken six points from a possible 54 and are now two points from safety with two to play with an inferior goal difference of minus 26. Now, we know they sold Jared Bowen to West Ham and Camille Grzycki to West Brom in January. Gregor, can this slump in form be simply put down to those transfers? Well, it is huge. I mean, Jared Bowen, I think he scored 16 goals. Grzycki had scored seven. Um, and next next on the list is Tom Eves with five. So, you know, absolutely. Also, if they weren't scoring the goals, they were creating them. So it not only took away the... The, the threat also took away the creativity as well. Um, but look, as well as that, there has been a, you know there's been a category of, of issues. The captain Eric Lehigh and the vice captain Jackson Irvin have left. They failed to agree the, the terms to to play this month, uh, and reportedly they were basically asked to play for free. Um, you know, these three three years ago they were in the Premier League and they were getting. Crowds of twenty five thousand fans, and this season, even you know, before lockdown, there was a couple of times where they dipped below ten thousand. So, it's a very sad story of decline there, because they, you know, the Alums, the owners of the club, saved the club, took it to the Premier League twice. They built the new stadium. They reached the cup final, FA Cup final. Um, but you know, it's just completely unravelled. They tried to change the name of the club to Hull Tigers. They induced uh, introduced crazy tic- uh, ticketing scheme which basically did away with any concessions which just angered the, f- the supporters even more and the relationship has been has become toxic so you know they've been trying to sell the club for a long time I think they've been turning huge profits because they've still been getting parachute payments and they're paying players some of the lowest salaries in the division it seems like they're trying to recoup any investment they've made in the club and trying to sell it at the same time so they thought they could do that as well as selling Bowen and Grozicki in January and keep the club in the championship. And it looks like it may have backfired massively. Yeah. They face fellow strugglers Luton and then playoff chasing Cardiff in their final two games. I mean, when you look at those fixtures, you're already worrying about them. There was little from this Wigan performance to inspire confidence in their survival. James, do you think Hull are doomed? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I think the uh, the one thing that really uh, really stuck out from that performance was there really was a complete lack of leadership. There was no one. You know, you, I was I was hearing people who were at the at the game saying that just couldn't hear anything from the from the players. You know, there was nobody. There was nobody trying to rally them and nobody trying to kind of inspire any kind of fight back. 
and I think that's a that's a, that's damning really. Um, and uh, and I just think I just I, I just think the, the the level of that performance tells you a, a, a lot about where they are as a club. And and I I think when you've got when 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 the, there are there are so many teams around them that are scrapping and fighting. If you're going to show no fight, you're going down. Mm. Well, the team, of course, who are directly above Hull are Charlton, who are another side on the slide then with no win in five. And they conceded in stoppage time for the seventh occasion this season in a draw at Birmingham City. They host Wigan on Saturday. Gregor, I know we've spoken about this before with the Lyle Taylor and uh, other players at the club who, similarly to what you just mentioned at Hull, didn't want to sign a new contract to see through this this end of the season. Do you think they've been affected by missing someone like Taylor, who was so pivotal to them, and also the fact that there has been ongoing issues behind the scenes of ownership and Lee Bowyer has now been linked with the vacant Birmingham job. Do all these factors come into play? Well, I think I think they do, but I think you know not to the same extent. I think that Lee Bowyer deserves a huge amount of credit for the way that you know they for getting them into the championship in the first place a year ago, um, for the start they had, and for being within in with a chance with the budget they have of of survival even at this stage. And then, as you say, losing Lyle Taylor, the biggest thing about that is his goals. And I think you know, I think he they only won something like two games in which he didn't play, and he's been injured quite a lot this season. So he losing him was 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 a massive blow. But they've they've got pretty admirably. They've had a lot of draws. Um, and this game is enormous. I'm going to this game actually on Saturday um, because Wigan Wigan played Fulham in their last game, um, and Charlton really I think Charlton need to win this because obviously Luton and Hull below them, two points behind them. Uh, if one of them win, then they're they're into the drop zone. Um, but the one other thing we do have to quickly raise is the fact that in the Championship, nothing is as uh, as simple as it seems because. <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday, Derby, uh, have EFL issues, possibly points deductions in store because of um, financial fair play issues. Um, Wigan, obviously, we, we're still not entirely sure if they, if they are more than 12 points um, from safety, then the points deduction will happen this season. If not, then it'll happen... Sorry, I'll say that again. If Wigan are more than 12 points... Um, above the drop zone, then then the points deduction will happen this season. If not, then next season they'll begin League One uh, on minus twelve. So you know there's a lot of uncertainty about other 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 clubs who are higher up in the table and how you know off field issues might eventually af- affect the final standings. So nothing is nothing is certain, and it's certainly going to be an interesting final week. Oh, it's never straightforward in the championship, is it? <laughs> so. Let's do this then. We'll have to predict the three to go down. Um, James, could you pick your three that you see will be playing in League One? Um, well, I think Barnsley are gone. I think Hull are down. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if um, if Huddersfield potentially slipped in there, actually. But, um, but which... Uh, which would be um, which would be amazing, given amazing in a bad way, given the where they were in the, you know the yeah. recently in the Premier League. Um, I mean, I I think I think Lee Bowyer's done an excellent job at Charlton. Whether they'll have enough to get over the line, I don't know. Um, 
but Luton have had some good results, and I could, I could, I could, I could just see them sneaking out. So you're going for Huddersfield, Hull, and Barnsley, uh, Gregor. Is that a similar three to to you? <laughs> I mean, this is even harder than than the than the Premier League kind of top four <laughs> predictions last week. I think Charlton. This is enormous. Wigan. They play they play Wigan, and then they've got Leeds on the last day. Obviously, Leeds could be up by then. Um, so, you know, there's so many different permutations about this. I th- I'd really sad sad to say it, but I think Charlton could be in trouble. I think Ooh. Wigan are on an amazing run. And I think Charlton might slip in, so I think it could be Barn. I think Luton, Luton will beat Hull, which will take lift them out. So that would mean Barnsley, Hull, and Charlton. Goodness me, goodness me! Just a just a line though. Interesting what you mentioned about Huddersfield, James, because as you mm. say, just last season they were in the, they were playing in the Premier League. Admittedly, not a great season, but the previous season that was their second season in in the Premier League. So. How on earth have they got to this stage where they are fighting relegation? I know, obviously, sometimes it's not easy to, to bounce straight back, but you'd have thought perhaps they'd at least be mid-table. Um, how on earth do you think they could be in a relegation battle? I think um, it's, there, is a, there is a slight concern over when you, have, when you have such... when you I mean, they were... They, their, their, their points tally last season was was so bad that you know yeah. it was it, their, their their form was so bad and and that that carries in that can carry into another season you know they weren't um they weren't in any good shape really um and i think they are they're very much like a number of teams that come down from the premier league uh the parachute payments are huge and i think the worry for them is that when that money when that money runs out when does where's the investment going to come from and i don't think their recruitment's been great and uh, and i think it's I mean, it's the same with you know Stoke have struggled this season as well, having been a recent Premier League team. Middlesbrough have struggled this season, having been a recent Premier League team. Um, it, uh, it, it, you know, this this can this this can very easily happen to those those bigger clubs. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
One team that will definitely be playing championship football next season are Wickham Wanderers. They edged past Oxford United in the League One playoff final at Wembley 2-1, thanks to a late Joe Jacobson penalty to send them into the second tier of English football for the first time in their history. Having nearly dropped out of the Football League just six years ago, they were tipped for relegation this time around after a bottom six finish last time they were out. Added to that, when the regular season was suspended in March because of the coronavirus pandemic, Wickham were outside the playoff places in the third tier. But when the final league standings were determined on an unweighted points-per-game basis, Gareth Ainsworth's side leapt up to third to book their shot at promotion. Gregor, we mentioned at the top of the pod that you were at this League One playoff final, but looking at Wickham as a whole, how on earth have they pulled this off? Amazing story. Um... I think the first thing is to address that the fact that they leapt into the they leapt from eighth to third, um, and there's a lot of clubs even now, even despite their kind of the fairy tale ascent, um, are still quite upset about that. Um, but in fairness to them, the game, the game that they they missed was again was scheduled to be Bury, and Bury no longer exists. So very you know there's very complicated, and they definitely deserved. They were. I think they were top of the league more than any other club, or in the top two more than any other club throughout the season. So how have they done it? They last in last summer they began the season with nine players. Nine players turned up to day one day one of pre-season, and they were a supporter-owned football club since 2012. I think um, they were doing very well to survive in League One. I think they finished 17th last season, and. Uh, they they got some investment. Well, it was a very interesting deal as well. There was um, an investor called Rob Kuhig, um from from America. He offered to. It was like a try before you buy a deal. So he offered to loan the club money. They would um, the the supporters trust would maintain a twenty five percent stake in the in the club. They would keep the title deeds to Adams Park, um, and they would see how they worked together. And you know it felt like a dream offer for the for the supporters trust um and it was only in february actually that the deal was was finally sealed so he gave them he gave them they were really were struggling financially and he gave them a bit of money and we're not talking a lot of money we're talking still a budget of less than two and a half million which would fall under any wage cap that comes in and we'd put them like near the bottom certainly in the bottom half of league one um in, in budget terms so but that gave ainsworth the ability to sign Sign some more players, and they started off like a like a house on fire, and and it's remarkable. It's it's really is it's it's been down to Ainsworth. Ainsworth is a huge character. He's the longest serving manager in in the football league. He's been there eight years, I think. Mm. Um, Twenty fourteen, he kept them up on the final day of the season in League Two, so they had to go to Torquay United, and they won three 0 to keep them in the football league. Um, they don't have a youth team. They don't have a reserve team. He, he's. There's been times where he's had to kind of order a bag of balls on eBay because he couldn't. The club had no money to, to to support him basically. Um, and it's just a remarkable thing. It's a, it's, it's something that he's. When you speak to any player, he's built a culture in the in the football club that everyone enjoys going into work. Uh, they play a certain style of football again that doesn't make them that popular to some people in terms of they're quite direct, um, but they've got some great characters. And if ever, as I said at the start, if ever there has been a promotion that has been built on 
sort of togetherness, team spirit, um, and that kind of attitude, the desire, then this is it. Well, the final was a clash of styles with Oxford, ranked first for possession and passing in League One. And, and Wickham, as you sort of alluded to there, Gregor, by contrast, ranked bottom. Um, when you hear that, James, how much do you think they'll have to change that direct style to, to succeed in the championship? Or, or can that still be successful, being so direct? I think it, I think it can. I think that... It would be. It would be. An, I, I'd be. I'd be very surprised if Wickham aren't battling against relegation next season, um, just because of the size of the club and the and the and the the, um, the squad at Ainsworth disposal at the moment. Um, it's a remarkable achievement going up, and I. But I. But I think they should stick to the stick to the style that's got them promoted because I remember when uh, I remember when Colchester United got into the championship um, probably about 10 years ago now um, but they made themselves a really awkward team and, and, and I think that was the year Roy Keane Sunderland got promoted to the Premier League and I think one of the only games they lost was Colchester away um, because they just made Leia Road a really difficult place to come and I think that will be key I think it'll be it'll be having a sort of siege mentality at home and if the home form's good, then they've got a, they've definitely got a fighting chance. It's obviously going to be. I don't want to. I don't want to sound negative at all because this is a, it's, it's one of the best stories of the season. But I mean, the the you look at teams like uh, Burton who've gone up and stayed up. Um, Yeovil had a season there. It's very difficult if you're a smaller club who's never been in the second tier. Um, but I think they've they've got they've got the, they've got the best of chances to, to to do it, and it'll be a really enjoyable ride. I just hope that. I really hope for the Wickham fans that some will be in a position as a country for fans to be able to get back in the grounds because yeah. I, I, I think it would just be, it would be, you know, they, those fans deserve the opportunity to see their team in the championship. And, and I think, and, and that's what I remember. I remember going to Yeovil's first game in the championship. I think it was a Millwall and they, they, they traveled amazingly had a huge following behind the goal. And it, and, and that's what it's, that's what it's. That's what that's what you live for as a lower league football fan. You you it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter if you don't stay up that season because you you want the chance to see your team test themselves against recent former Premier League teams and mm. and give it a go. And, and and also you could always dream and you always you always want your you know you 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 think you know God we're only we're actually only one division away from the Premier League. Um, so I I I just I just hope really really hope that. Um, will be in a place to have some fans in stadiums next year. Absolutely. Well, Wickham only became a Football League club in 1993 when Martin O'Neill led them out of non-league. It's a remarkable story that's now been led front and centre by the inspirational Gareth Ainsworth. Or should we call him Wild Thing, as the 47-year-old is affectionately known? He moonlights as the lead singer of the Cold-Blooded Hearts and had to cancel band practice to lead his team out at Wembley where he prowled the touchline in skinny jeans and a pair of red leather cowboy boots. That must have been some sight, Gregor. <laughs> yes, yes. And he's always got his kind of his shirt undone to the navel. Yes. Uh, his long flowing locks. He drives a Mustang. So, yeah, he's a, certainly he? he's a rocker. He's a rocker, yeah. I was speaking to Joe Jacobson, who scored the winning penalty uh, and, actually, and set up the first goal as well. Um, I was speaking to him earlier on today, actually, and... And he says that win, lose or draw, every Monday they, you you turn up at nine o'clock in, in the morning and you go into the gym 
and Ainsworth has got his rock music blaring out. He's whooping <laughs> and high fiving everyone when he walk it when they walk in, and he's like, "How can we not want to play for this guy?" So it is. It really is a kind of a tale of a manager inspiring a group of players and a lot of players who really they might not still be playing today if it was wasn't for him. Players like Matt Bloomfield, who's thirty six mm. and he's played for them for this is his seventeenth season, I believe. Um, Darius Charles, guy who's thirty two, he was he was told to retire last summer because he's got an arthritic hip and. Ainsworth just said, you tailor your training, and he tried and tried and tried, and he's played 25 games, I think, this season, played at Wembley. Um, again, Bloom, uh, Joe Jacobson, 33, He's he played one game for Cardiff when he was 19, um, and, he's, and he's been trying to get back to the championship ever since, and these guys are kind of like his leaders in the dressing room, So, and obviously the man we're going to come on to is uh, Akin Fenwa. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about him in just a moment, but when you think about the open shirt, the skinny jeans, the, the leather cowboy boots, bright red as, as well. James, can you think of another manager who could pull off such a look on the touchline? Oh, Paul Tisdale's always been quite sharp, hasn't he? Oh, um, yes. Uh, I, 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 always, I always used to like, I, I've always, always loved his style. I remember covering a game at Exeter once and uh, he was, uh, he, he, just, uh, he just won 4-0. And um, he leans over the, 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 he's got the press sort of huddled round by the dugout and he leans over the, the wall and this fan gives him an empty ice cream tub and he goes, oh, here's my, here's my breakfast for the morning. And, uh, and it was, a, it was, it was a, a, a lady in the crowd who kept hens and had, and had brought some eggs, <laughs> some freshly laid <laughs> eggs to the match and gave them to Paul Tisdale. And, uh, and it was just like, it just, you know, you, it, was, it was like, not only are you one of the sharpest dressed managers, but you've also, you've also got your breakfast lined up in the crowd. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was incredible. <laughs> um, uh, in terms of, I mean, the, I, I thought Matt Dickinson did a, did a, did a piece with Martin O'Neill, watched the game with Martin O'Neill. And, um, mm-hmm. and we ran in the paper, the two pictures side by side of O'Neill with the conference trophy and, and Ainsworth. And I think you, you, you You've got a great sort of contrast of like '90s tracksuited manager. You couldn't get you couldn't get a bigger contrast of the two. Um, I mean, Gregor, who was who was sort of sartorially best and worst managers you you, you played for? Oh goodness me! Um, they were all terrible. <laughs> there's not, this is this, he is he is a, he's certainly an outlier, Ainsworth. Uh, there's not many. The answer to your question is there is not many managers who can pull off red snakeskin cowboy boots or skinny jeans in the touchline. Do you know who I think could? And I don't know why, but I think someone like Paolo Di Canio could. He just has that sort of, you know, there's something about Paolo. He could just get away with anything, couldn't he, really, I imagine. But um, but surely, come I mean, on, Craig Pep, Pep's quite sharp, isn't he? I mean, like Pep, Pep yes. also has, you know, Pep, you know Pep's, uh, you know, with his jumpers. But, um, no, Gregor, you've got to name someone. Who was good or bad? Let me think. I mean, seriously, we're going back to people like Joe Kinnear and and Gary Megson. They certainly didn't see a didn't see much but a, a baggy tracksuit or a baggy suit from them. Um, honestly, <laughs> there is no one. There is no one who's been a good dresser. <laughs> they all wear a baggy tracksuit or a baggy suit and uh, and get the Mickey taken out of them when they turn their back in the changing room. <laughs> well, do you know what, Gregor, you, you mentioned uh, one of those players that we need to talk about in more detail. On 62 minutes at Wembley and with the score at one all, 
Ainsworth threw on wildcard frontman Adebayo Akinfenwa. It had the desired effect, which means the 38-year-old should get his chance to play championship football with Wickham against the likes of Norwich and Sheffield Wednesday. And Akinfenwa hit the headlines again post-match with the boyhood Liverpool fan telling TV cameras, let me tell you something, the only person that can hit me up on WhatsApp this time is Klopp, so we can celebrate together. You get me? Oi, I think I sounded really like Bayerakin. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, there. that was really good. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. But And sure enough, what happened? The Liverpool boss did call Akin Fenwer, congratulating him via video call, we should say, with the frontman unable to sleep that night, still awake at 9am the next morning. Obviously, any kind of playoff final victory is, is a stuff of fairy tales. But, Gregor, I'll come to you about Akin Fenwer. How good was that reaction from him? It was brilliant. It's one of the most kind of genuine uh, but humorous and kind of memorable interviews I can remember to be honest because he was just so so happy he's 38 he's never he's you know he's a he's a lower league legend he's one of the biggest characters in in, in kind of lower league English football and he's never played in the championship and he's reached he's reached his kind of what for him is the was the goal the kind of pinnacle at the age of 38 it's an amazing story and um to be, I was speaking again when I was speaking to Joe Jacobson today he told me an interesting thing that before the game they had a, a video meeting in the hotel, uh, Wickham did, and basically Akinfenwa had arranged all these messages, so they turn on the screen, and there's Virgil van Dyke, John Terry, Jamie Redknapp, mm-hmm. Saul Campbell, Anthony Joshua, Jack Grealish, Saul Campbell, Patrice Evra, all of these guys were sending good luck messages to Wickham. So, you know, he's he's got a bit of, uh, he carries a bit of weight in two ways, Uh Akinfenwa, he's, you know, he, he does a bit of work for Sky and stuff and he's kind of quite a big, well-known guy and uh, and he, he obviously pulled some strings to, to get a bit of a motivational uh, boost for the lads in the before the game as well, which I thought was a nice story. Sounds like he's cheating, getting all these people to help out. <laughs> That's not on. No, I mean, it, it, is, it is great, you have to say. And is this, James, what, what makes the EFL so great because we we get these personal stories and we we get the this reaction that's so raw that is so wonderful to see it, it matters so much to, to Akin Fenwell as it did to all those Wickham players is that something that makes the EFL sort of different does it set it apart from the Premier League yeah I think I think uh, there is there is more there's, there's there's certainly more access at that level and I think there is more of a connection with uh, with with the fans and the players I mean I remember I remember being really jealous as a kid. A really good friend of mine is a Swansea fan. And this is like before they had their Premier League days, um, back when they were kind of Lee Trundle and players like that. And I just remember he used to always do, there was like a bowl, there was a, there was always a bowling event, a temp in bowling with the Swansea squad that he used to do every year. And I used to be like, wow, you're meeting all your, all these players who you consider a legend. I think he might have gone bowling with Akin Fenwell when he was there. Um <laughs> But uh, but it's but it's uh, it, it's that kind of thing. It's the it's the, the chance to to meet. You can meet you can meet your your heroes sort of really quite easily. I, I remember the the year uh, a year Orient got promoted, and they did a big kind of celebration event at the club that we went to, and then you got to meet all the players. It was incredible. And, and as a sort of wide-eyed fourteen-year-old, I was kind of I was like, oh my god, these are all my heroes all here, you know. Um, 
so so yeah i think that it is it is a huge part of what makes the efl um particularly when you get down to sort of league one and league two what makes it it sets it apart yeah well akin fenwa has gained somewhat of a cult following for being the strongest player in the fifa video game possessing a physique that wouldn't look out of place in the nfl he is known as the beast he stands at five foot 11 and weighs a whopping 120 kilograms but guess what he can actually bench more than that a full 180 kilograms during his career he has scored 132 goals in 393 matches but has never stayed at one club for longer than 30 months having spells in england wales and uh, Lithuania. Gregor, why does he gain cult status, do you think, at every club he goes to? It's because he's a huge personality. He's, you saw that in the video and yeah. in, in the in the interview. Uh, any any club he's at, he is kind of he's just a huge presence in the dressing room, on the pitch, in every aspect of the of that football club. So there are some clubs that are kind of and managers perhaps who would be put off by that. And they wouldn't they wouldn't be certainly they would be happy or confident dealing with him. But Gareth Ainsworth has embraced that and he's seen that, you know, it's not it's not all the kind of larger than life personality with him as well. He actually does you know, he's serious in the changing room and you saw him after the the victories um the against Fleetwood in the first first leg particularly. He gathers all the players, he got them in a huddle and he's standing in the middle and he's making points about, you know, this is what's gonna happen, this you know, you need to prepare right for the next game and you know he's a he's a leader as well uh so i think gareth ainsworth saw that and as as Bayo said uh in the interview four years ago he was standing in the same place with afc wimbledon having just one promotion to to league one uh and he's technically unemployed um you know that would have been him 34 he you know he's as i said he's a he's someone who he's had injuries he's a big guy his body's taken a bit of a pounding, I would imagine. Uh, you know, he could quite easily have, have called it a day at that point, and probably there weren't too many people who were willing to give him another chance, but Ainsworth has. And every year in the last four years, he's been top goal scorer for them, and they're in the championship. Brilliant. It is I brilliant. also Just... think as well... Uh, oh, sorry. Go... No, go on, James. Oh, I, I, oh, no, I think as well, there is a... There, there's, as you say, Gregor, there is a, there's a serious side to this as well. He's had to work so hard to get his break in the game as well. I mean, I remember his early years um, playing for a whole host of third division clubs. Um, and then and he, and he, had, he had a spell in, in, in Lithuania as a youngster where he suffered appalling racist abuse. Um, he's, he has, he's, he's an example of, there are so many examples of this in the Football League of, of players who, who, who really work so hard to get that opportunity. And then the moment they get that opportunity, they make the absolute most of it. And, and you could just tell how much he, he loves football by the fact that he's still going at this age and he's still um, the, the life and soul of the club that he goes to. Um, and I, and I, as, much as, for the, for the, as much as for the Wickham fans I want back in the stadium for next season, I want them there for him as well because I want him to really be able to enjoy his season in the Championship, hopefully more seasons in the Championship. But I really hope he gets to enjoy this moment fully. Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and to James. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We will be back with you on Monday, where the promotion and relegation picture in the Championship may be a lot clearer.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.